0: What is it that makes a hero? What are the qualities that would put someone in that category of, yes, this person is a hero? As I thought through this, I identified that some heroes famously lead thousands of men for the good of millions of people at the cost of incalculable sacrifice. Other heroes are a hero only to one. But for that one, the sacrifice is life-changing. Maybe you can think of such a hero. No one else even knows they're a hero, but they changed your life. Some heroes publicly shoulder the weight of a nation upon their shoulders. Other heroes quietly take a stand when they know that what they're doing is right. And they do it when they're alone, or when they're only surrounded by enemies, both seeing the unseen, aiming for the unrealized, bringing into reality by the sheer force of will the justice which previously didn't exist. Some heroes look every bit the part. You look at this person, yeah. That's a hero. Others don't look the part. They are unacknowledged, denied, unbelieved, even maligned for their heroism. They are heroes nonetheless. And of course, the hero doesn't do their deed for the acclaim, a true hero. The hero is driven to heroics by a strong, personal conviction of what is right heroism requires vision for the path that is taken is often previously unseen some some heroes carve a path that has never been taken before other times hero heroism requires nothing less than the willingness to give what others aren't willing to give to pay the price that others would never even consider laying down. Either way, the heroism always comes at a personal cost, always for the good of another, always a choice that is made that didn't have to be made. Some heroes remain uncelebrated till long after they are due. Unseen, maybe even for the rest of their lives. Posthumously recognized, as heroes, but that doesn't make their contribution any less needed or any less valuable. And it's not and though the beneficiaries of their heroism gain from their acts, they lose out by not recognizing the hero for themselves. And when we think about heroes in our lives, maybe there's a hero that you need to contact or recognize. Celebrate. Jesus is a hero that possesses all of those qualities. Most heroes will have one of those qualities. Jesus has all of those qualities. Jesus is more real a hero than anyone that you just saw on the screen. He gave infinitely more to win the infinitely valuable the most undeserving of recipients, you and me, in this series we've been looking at Jesus, the hero, in so many different storylines. We want to see Jesus for the hero that he is. we want to come to Jesus, embrace Jesus, celebrate Jesus. we want to stand with Paul, who was able to look at so many places in the Old Testament and just see Jesus. Everywhere, And in seeing Jesus there in unexpected places in Scripture, we see Jesus in our own lives. We see Him at work where we wouldn't have seen Him at work before. We see Him moving pieces around where before we would have thought it was a problem. But now we see oh, Jesus is doing something here. I see Jesus on display in the lives of people that maybe we wouldn't normally see it because we're looking for Jesus everywhere in Scripture. You remember the passage that we're kind of are launching this series off of um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where Paul just talks about, he gives a list of events that happened in the Old Testament. He talks about the spiritual food and the spiritual drink and the spiritual rock and he says the rock was Christ. And And so we're looking at all these pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. Paul had it in his mind what Jesus was teaching the disciples on the on the road to Emmaus where he took them from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, through the prophets, and He showed them everywhere that He was in the Scriptures. The words were ringing in Paul's ear that Je- that Jesus spoke in John chapter 5, where He said, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness of Me, but you refuse to come to Me that you may have life. So this morning, we're going to continue searching the Old Testament using that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as a as a launching pad and seeing Jesus in every passage in scripture. And so I want to invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41. We saw Jesus in the rock that was struck and the water came out. We saw Jesus in Uh, the manna that came down from heaven. Uh, Today we're going to see Jesus in the intercession of Moses and Aaron. Moses was a great interceder. Jesus is a great interceder. And this is going to be... My my goal for this sermon... I I think this is going to be an unusual sermon and I'm not going to tell you to do anything. I don't think we're going to hit on a single command in this entire passage and in this entire sermon. But what I want... Like I said before, maybe not a lot of learning going on this morning, but a lot of admiring, a lot of setting our hearts and our affections on Jesus, recalling what he's done for us. And it's helpful to see it played out. And we see this in Numbers chapter 16. What Moses and Aaron did for the Israelites, Christ did and does for us. So let's look at the story. Let's keep our eyes out for the intercessor, Jesus, on display through Moses and Aaron. Starting in verse 41, it says, But on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron, saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. We'll touch on it here in a minute, but the, the, the episode leading up to this was there was a little rebellion, and God quashed it. People were killed. They blame Moses. Verse 42, And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came to the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from the midst of this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces. And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer and put fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who had died in the affair of Korah, that's the rebellion, and Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. That's, this is an interesting passage. And in it we see such a, such a rich picture of what Jesus Christ does for the believer. So, I've kind of broken this into two sections. First, let's look at the standing of the interceder. What position was the interceder in? As we consider our intercessor, notice, first of all, his innocence. Uh, Basically, what happens at the beginning of chapter 16 is uh, Korah and his clan come and they say, Moses, you're you're taking too much of, too much of um, the credit for yourself. We're all holy before the Lord. You're no one special. We want to start, uh, basically, sharing the load with all of us. And uh, in verse four, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face, was, with such humility, uh, and he said to Korah and all the company, "In the morning, the Lord will show whose is his and whose is holy and." And will bring him near to him, and the one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, and then he gives him some instruction. He kind of lays a gauntlet out. He says, "Listen, I'm not tooting my own horn here. We'll see who God decides is the leader." And and you can read through that passage this week, and you can see that God clearly, decisively chose Moses. Moses had no part in the rebellion. Moses was innocent, and um, he remained humble though he was disrespected. He was innocent, though challenged. Without sin, though surrounded by sin. And in that quality, we see a picture of Jesus as he walked on this earth. He was a man that was accused and never accused back. He was a man that was lied about and never returned with lies. He was a man that was constantly surrounded by sin, the sin of his enemies, the sins of his loved ones and yet he remained pure. This is critical for the kind of intercessor that we need. Moses was that kind of intercessor. Jesus is that kind of intercessor. But this brings us to an equally important component of Christ's intercession, also on display in the figures of Moses and Aaron. Not only was the intercessor uh, innocent, but we also see the intercessor's association, his connection, Um, in today's way of thinking you want an intercessor that isn't associated with either party you want someone that's really independent unbiased so they're a fresh mind coming in and not taking either side whatsoever if you have a conflict oftentimes my kids will have a conflict and they want me to come in and you need someone that's unrelated to the situation that's our way of thinking Um, but we see that God had a a different way of doing it. God is brilliant in what He sought to accomplish. Rather than having a goal of impartiality to ensure a lack of bias, God flips it on its head. God says, I want an intercessor that is driven by bias. I want an intercessor between me and my people who is filled with partiality. I want an intercessor to be partisan, prejudice, pulling for the party that he's connected to. And which side was Moses most connected to? Well, he was clearly connected to the people that sinned. He was connected to uh, the offenders. We know this from verse 1. We see that the people that started this rebellion in the first place were of the exact same tribe that both Moses and Aaron were part of. But think about Moses' situation. He's leading these people and he looks out at these rebellious people that are about to be judged by God. And what does he see? He sees his sister. He sees nieces and nephews. He sees neighbors. He sees loved ones. He sees aunts. He sees uncles. He looks out. He sees his own people. He's one of them. So he is absolutely biased toward those people that he is leading and not only that but he's poured a lot into them he's he's risked a lot given a lot to lead them into a better place and that's how God wanted it God wanted someone that was biased towards the people that he was representing Um, we we do want this in society sometimes I think we've got a couple of attorneys in our church and if I were accused of doing something wrong I would want someone that knows me to go to trial for me. I would go to Jonathan. Or if I was really hard up, I might even have Drew come and represent me. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. Drew, Drew has represented us legally before. And for me and my family, he's one of those people that we put in the category of, of a personal hero. Because he fought for us. And he worked harder than maybe he would for other clients. And he didn't charge us anything. And He went to bat for us because He loved us. And we knew that we were getting the absolute best legal representation that we could possibly have because His heart was with ours. And that's what Jesus is. He's connected with you. He's intertwined with you. He's committed to you. He's on your side. That's why it says in Hebrews, it says, He is not ashamed to call us brothers, And sisters. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He's proud to say, I am one of them. They belong to me. We are of the same kind. And he goes to bat for you. He's on your side. But here's where God was brilliant He placed an intercessor that was not only hopelessly biased toward the offenders, but also equally biased to the offended party. Jesus and Moses were just as equally biased towards God, towards the one that was offended. He was equally connected to the offenders and the offended. And we need both deeply. We see his connection uh, in verses four and five. You look at verse four and five, it says, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And then he says, listen, the Lord, the Lord's going to show I'm not going to defend myself, the Lord. And the Lord came through and the Lord defended him. You look at verse 42. It says, And when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron, they turned toward the tent of meeting, and behold, the cloud covered it. That's where the presence of God was. And it says... The glory of the Lord appeared. So here you have God actually manifesting His glory in favor of these two men, these intercessors. He's making it clear. They are for me. And again, we see it in verse 50, it says, After this whole incident, Aaron returned then to uh, to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That is where the presence of God was manifest." So we have, we see here, we have in Christ an intercessor who is both hopelessly biased towards the, uh, the 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 criminals, the rebellious, and also perfectly loyal and committed to the one who is the victim, the one who is the offended party. And again, and think about that passage in Hebrews chapter two and verse eleven, where. It says that he is not ashamed to call us brothers. That verse actually starts by saying, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are one. So what we have here is this perfect intercessor who connects God with the rebellious because he's connected to us, he's connected to God, so now the sanctifier and the sanctified are one. That's what Jesus does. He fights for us. He's connected with us. He's connected with God. He fights for God's justice. He fights for God's holiness. But now let's turn our attention and examine not only what the intercessor's standing is, but let's look at what the intercessor's actions are. Let's look at the actions of the intercessor. The intercessor pleads. That's the job of the intercessor. Look at verse 22 in the middle of Korah's rebellion. Verse 20 says, The Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin? And will you be angry with all the congregation? What are they doing? They're pleading on behalf of the people. And we see the same thing happen again in, uh, in verse uh, 47. No, I'm sorry, not verse 47, verse 45, where he says again, get away from the midst of the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces again, once again, pleading on behalf of their people. And Jesus does that for us. And you see, you go through the, the Pentateuch and you see this happens again and again. Moses is constantly interceding, for his people, pleading for them to God, pleading on their behalf to God. They're not smart enough to plead for themselves, but Moses does, and Christ does the same thing. Romans 8.34 says that he is at the right hand of the Father. Right now, he he died, he rose again, now he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he pleads for us. What kind of words do you use to describe yourself in your darkest moments? When you're feeling the worst about yourself, what kind of words do you use to capture who you are and the actions and evaluate your motives? I hear, and sometimes I feel in my own life, but I hear people say things like, I'm uh, I'm a loser. Or I I cannot help it, I'm an addict. Or I look at it and I just, I think I love God, but I, I must not love God. By when I look at my actions, I don't love God. Or they say, I'm, I'm worthless. I can never be good enough. I'm always letting people down. Well, I'm so drawn to the wicked. I, I. You know what? Jesus doesn't use any of those words when he describes you. None of those. He looks at you. And he pleads on your behalf. Maybe some of those words make their way up to God's ear. You ever think about that? Sometimes we pray those words right up to God's ear and we make a false confession. Maybe an maybe a, maybe a, a accusing spirit picks those words up, carries them up, lays them before the Father for him to hear. But there's another voice in God's other ear that drowns out any of those words. It's the voice of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, don't listen to that. That, that, That's a lie. Uh, Your child is confused. They're bearing a false witness right now. They are not a loser. I died for them. They belong to me. I love them. They are beloved. They are righteous. They have the fullness of my holiness. This child is worth saving. Don't give up on them. Don't turn your back on them. Rescue them. Make them known. Make yourself known to them. I cherish this person. That's an that's a intercessor that pleads in our behalf. So, so far we look and we see that Jesus is connected with us, even though He's connected with God as well, so He comes between the two of us and He's rooting for both of us. But He fights for you. He fights for you. You know, I look out here... And I see a lot of mama bears in the audience. I see a lot of women that I do not envy the individual that comes between them and their children, because they're fighters, and they'll do whatever it costs to protect their children. And Jesus is a big mama bear when it comes to you. And not only that, not only that, but he's also pleading on your behalf. He's whispering truth to you and to God. He's standing on your side. The intercessor pleads for us. Also, the intercessor atones for us. Here we look at verse 46. It says, And Moses said to Aaron, Take your censer. This, is, this was a, a, a utensil that was used in the, um, later on in the temple, but in the tabernacle that would just carry coals from the altar and incense on it would represent prayer. It was a part of worship, part of the sacrificial system. He says, "...take your censer and put fire on it from the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For the wrath of God has come out from the Lord, the plague has begun." So Aaron took it. As Moses said, he ran into the midst of the assembly and behold, the plague had already begun among the people and he put on the incense and he made atonement for the people. So let's think about that. The atonement here stopped it, stopped the plague, it was an intercessory act. The word atonement, uh, you can see it as you spell it out right there. It, it literally could mean at-one-ment, bringing together, making one. The idea of uh, bringing together enemy and enemy and making them one. Martin Luther famously described atonement, and literally in the Old Testament, it's the idea of a covering. So Martin Luther famously described it as snow falling over a dung heap all you see is the white purity you don't see what's inside but that's just that's just one facet of atonement and you can see in the notes i've put a whole list of r's of as you go through the new testament you can see all the different aspects and components of what atonement really is it's more than just covering our sins so that God doesn't see them. It's so much more. So let's let's just kind of quickly go through these different words that we find in the New Testament that add to our understanding of atonement that's listed here. In fact, you won't even find the word atonement in the New Testament at all, in most translations, but you see additions to the concept. Uh, The first R that I want you to write down is ransom. Ransom, and you see the the passage where that is Uh, ransom. This uh, means pays the price of the rescue and release. Ransom is paying the price for the rescue. Can we put that verse up there, Caleb? See that on the left side there. I want them to be able to see the when when we say the word. I want them to be able to see the definition there. Mark ten forty five, and that way you can go back and you can look through these passages and you can see the words on display. But Christ ransoms us. Rescues us by paying the price. He redeems us. This is similar to ransom, but this means to obtain for your own possession by payment. He reconciles us. This means the the exchange of a hostile relationship for a friendly relationship. That's what Christ did for you. Remember, it says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us, and He brought us together with God, reconciled our relationship. We see the idea of atonement also in the word remove. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that, For years, bulls were sacrificed to take away the sins of the people, but it could not be permanent. When Christ came as the perfect sacrifice, then He could take away the sins of the people. To remove means to to cause a condition to cease or to cut off. Think about like an arm that's so sick with gangrene. All you can do is cut it off. Or to cause a condition to cease, to heal someone. It's the removal of sins. Uh, We could write down the word regard. Uh, Here's the word that we've used before is justified from Romans chapter 5. To regard as just, to render innocent. Remember that word justified, that's a word you can write down there too. We talk about what it means if someone is electrified, they're filled with electricity, right? If you're justified, you're filled with God's justice. All this is in the atonement that Christ did for us. We could also think of the word uh, rescue, that is to save, to deliver, to liberate. We could think of a word that we won't ever use in any other place in life, but propitiate. It's a biblical word. It's worth learning. Propitiate. that means to replace, uh, kind of a a stand-in victim, to satisfy the demands of an exacting God. That's what a sacrifice was. You think about the goat that once a year was sent out of the camp where the people would lay their hands on it, it was like as if it was receiving their sins and then it was cast out. A stand-in victim. I think of the word purify, which means to cleanse, to wash off. Um, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it's the King James says, he after having risen, He purged us of all our sins. I like that word particularly. He purged us of all our sins. That's why personally I don't believe in the doctrine of purgatory that the Catholics teach. Because this says, once for all, He purged us of all our sins. There's nothing left to be purged out of us. He purged us, cleansed us, cleaned us. One last one, preserve. To keep safe from harm. To shield from the blow. This is the passage where it says that the wrath of God is coming, but we are preserved from the wrath of God. And as we look at all of these different components and aspects of this word atonement, it's not just one of these or even just one of these at a time. It's all of these, all at the same time, richly layered, multifaceted, abundantly applied to each of those who hold on to Jesus Christ. Notice also in our passage here in Numbers, the urgency in which the intercessor went out to apply the atonement. Uh, Moses told him in verse 46, quickly go, in verse 47 it says that he ran into the people. Think about Aaron, what he's doing right there. He's got the incense. Imagine if this side of the congregation, imagine if there's a plague that's growing from that end all the way, just slowly spreading over, and Aaron can see it spreading, 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 And he bolts out and runs right down the center to create a line. That takes some courage. It took some urgency. He went and he stopped the plague. There was urgency in our intercessor's atonement. And last action the intercessor stands between. He pleads, he atones, and he stands between. Verse 48 And he stood between the dead and the living and the plague was stopped. Oh, man, just picture that in your mind. Piles of bodies consumed by plague and dead, and then a perfect line in the living, taking a deep breath of relief, just as guilty as the other side, fully deserving everything they got, and then the incense slowly rising as Aaron holds the instrument, and the smoke just blows through the wind. What a picture. A great line has also been drawn in the dust of this earth. It continues from the beginning of time all the way till now. It goes through all nations and people groups and regions and transcends every epoch that has ever existed. And you stand on one side of that line as well. The dead are on one side, Christ is in the center, and the living is on the other side. And that's where we stand. And that's why he's our hero. And that's what we come and celebrate every single Sunday. And maybe some of you recognize, I, I'm not on that side of life. I am definitely on the side of death. Maybe you see it, you know it, but you're not ready. You, you can step over that line anytime. All you've got to do is make your way to Jesus. And you can do that anytime you want. And I urge you to do it today. There's urgency in that call because we have no idea. Not another hour is guaranteed to us. You may not be here next Sunday. I may not be here next Sunday. But if you find yourself on the other side of that line, would you just make your way to Christ in faith, depending on Him? But for those of us that are on this other side of the line, we rejoice, we breathe that big sigh of relief. And we look at that other side of death and rotting corpses, and we're like, and we say, I don't want any part of that. And every time we sin, we're going back to the other side. Having been given life, we go back to the other side. We don't want any part of that in our life. And so, we're going to close with a song. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And like I said, not a lot of learning today, probably, but I hope a lot of admiring, a lot of inspiring. As we look at our hero, Jesus, let us also just. Let's end on a note of celebration. We're going to sing a song. As they were doing the run-through before the service, Rachel said, you just cannot sing this song without smiling. And I believe that to be true, and that's one of the reasons why we chose this song. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And uh, after we get done singing, Dan, you just come on on up and uh, close us in prayer. All right? Let's go ahead and sing.